Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is a challenging time for law enforcement. Violence on the streets of Chicago is still making national headlines. The jails still seem fairly packed and budgets at the local level are tight. That could mean trouble for police officers on the front lines and the departments they serve. This week, we're going to talk with a suburban police official who worries that things may be going too far. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. A couple of weeks ago, we talked with Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox on this program. Among other things, she talked about budget pressures that have forced layoffs in all county departments and about what kinds of prosecutions her office won't be making to save money and redirect resources. But if you move resources to someplace like Chicago, it suggests you're taking them away from somewhere else. Well, that brings us to this week's guest. He has been among those outspoken in protest of the current priorities of the state's attorney's office. He's Tom Weitzel, the chief of police in West Suburban Riverside. It's a job he's held since 2008, but he's been with the department since 1984. He's definitely come up through the ranks. He started as a patrolman. He made it to assistant chief by 2003. He has uh, won a number of awards, including for valor and honor. Among the more interesting ones, he won the Kevlar DuPont Survivors Club Award one year. Kevlar is what bulletproof vests are made of. So by definition, I will have to assume you have been shot in the line of duty. Um He is now facing down county officials over how they are funding law enforcement and supporting it. Chief Tom Weitzel, welcome. Thank you for having me this morning. Well, it is our pleasure. Um, Let's start with an open letter that you sent to uh, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle and the commissioners on the board about criminal justice reform and the direction that you see it taking. Uh, What was it that raised your concern so high to draft that letter? Well, that letter really rose out of a meeting that the Cook County State's Attorney called with all suburban police chiefs in my district, which was the 4th District. That meeting was held in Maywood at the courthouse, where the State's Attorney's Office told us what cases that they would no longer be prosecuting. And at that meeting, those were driving while licensed, suspended, and revoked cases that were the basis for those revocations or suspension was a financial responsibility And they also said that they did not have the funding available for prosecutors to staff those courtrooms, so they would be moving their priorities to the city of Chicago, or at least some of their priorities. So I asked them at the meeting why that decision was made, and they said that it was a policy decision of putting their resources that they felt towards more violent criminal acts. I felt the suburban agencies are being shortchanged, so I wrote a letter to the president, Preckwinkle, and the board, all commissioners. That letter was sent to all the Cook County commissioners because the state's attorney's office said that it was a funding issue, that if they had the funding, they probably would not be 
not prosecuting the suspended license cases for financial responsibility. And I agree, there is a funding issue. There's no question about that. And they said that this soda pop tax, that's what it's being referred to, is even going to affect the prosecutor's office far beyond what we were originally told at our first meeting. So I wanted the county commissioners and the president to know that there is no such thing as criminal justice reform without criminal justice funding. Because I hear over and over again from the state's attorney's office, from our elected officials, our county elected officials, our state elected officials, that there is need for criminal justice reform. But there's no criminal justice funding going along with this reform. So as far as I'm concerned, it's just a dismantlement of the current criminal justice system. Hmm. Um, you know, and there seem to be two tracks going here. I mean, one is the budget crunch. Uh, Tony Preckwinkle, in fact, has said with or without the sweet and soft drink tax, the county is going to have to keep its spending tight. Uh, that other track is the reform that you're talking about that uh, changes, you know, a lot of officials say need to be made uh, are, are going forward. First off, how much of the reform itself do you believe is justified? There, uh, well, I'm on board 100% with the criminal justice reform for juvenile justice. I've said that publicly. I've worked on sending several subcommittees with that. So the juvenile justice reform, I'm right on. What we're talking about now is this adult prosecution of certain cases, whether it be felony retail thefts, driving while license revoked, not opposing bonds for defendants that appear in bond court, uh, re- allowing the state's attorney to request I-bonds, which are a signature bond, or in some cases, uh, putting people on electronic monitoring that normally would not be. So this is this package they call criminal justice reform. But every time they talk about criminal justice reform, they're only talking about not prosecuting or dropping things. There's no reform. It's just, we're not doing this anymore. We're not prosecuting this case. We're raising the threshold higher. But do you believe, though, as county board President Preckwinkle and the state's attorney, uh, uh, Kim Fox, do you agree with them that there are too many people who are spending time in jail for either awaiting uh, trial for low-level drug offenses or, or the like, that there are too many of them? I, I'm not sure about that because they, while there are probably some individuals that we can release on lower bonds, or what they call EM, which is electronic monitoring. There was a December 2015 article in the Tribune where the sheriff's office said there was 101 people being held in custody at the county jail on retail thefts of a bond of $100, or which is the minimum. But what they didn't say in that article was that there's a lot of steps that go into whether you could be released. For example, those in, those, those 101 individuals, you All it was was a headline. They didn't say how many of those individuals have outstanding warrants that would also keep them in custody in addition to the retail theft. How many of them, what's their bond forfeiture history? How many times had they skipped court previously? What is their criminal history? What kind of family ties do they have to the community? Because that's how you base giving somebody a lower bond or in some cases a signature bond. The headline just said 101 retail theft suspects in custody on a hundred dollar bond and there was this outrage is why should there be why should there be these people in the county jail with such a low bond with what is considered a very nonviolent offense uh, retail theft well I can tell you that that's not the way it happens 
many times these retail theft suspects fight with the police. Officers have to chase them, foot chase them, tackle them, get them into custody. So there's a lot of other factors that go into somebody just saying, well, we had 101 retail thefts individuals in the county jail. We should release them because that's a low-level crime. Stop, step back, take a look at the individuals. Maybe some of those could be released, but not not this this rush that they say everybody can walk out the door. Now, I've heard uh, a lot of talk about a set of standards that have been developed for uh, bond cases where these some of the factors that you mentioned are taken into effect. Do you not see that kind of thing happening, that there is more of a review? No. You know, when I was president of the West Suburban Chiefs Association in 2012, we did a white paper. I was on a committee along, uh, put on by President Preckwinkle, along with Kim Fox was on that committee. So was a a person who is now state representative, Juliana Stratton. Mm -hmm. She was on that committee. We made a recommendation. I actually authored a paper on the proper process for bond hearings that was set out by the International Association of Chief of Police. It went nowhere. It got no response. I submitted it as part of the overall uh, reform for that committee and that looking at the bond, I don't, I don't know that there's that much prep work done in who should be released and who should not, because how it works is that the officers bring the prisoner down to the bond court. They check them in the state. They conduct a bond hearing. The state's attorney usually will go through the criminal history of the individual in front of them, whether they have any outstanding warrants and a judge will make a determination as to appropriate bond. Well, I don't think that's enough time to look into somebody's history on what their bond history is, how many they've skipped. Do they have a job? Are they have family members? Where are they going to be living? And that's important because then that shows a connection to the community and they're less likely to flee. They're less likely to jump bond. They're less likely to have a warrant for their arrest because what happens is when they say get out of jail, well, if, if the individuals aren't showing up, they're putting warrants out for their arrest and they're just back in jail again. Um, do you believe that this direction that we're going in as far as bond is concerned is, is a threat either to the community or to the police officers? It is. It's a threat. Well, it's certainly a threat to police officers. Repeat criminals. I can assure you criminals know that in Cook County, you have a higher threshold for retail theft. I can sure can tell you that they know that, uh, bonds will be in some cases, uh, lower or you'll be put on electronic monitoring, and uh, you will not be prosecuted presently starting August 1st for driving while your license is suspended based on a financial responsibility. They're not dumb. They know that. But if you can cross the county line and go across to DuPage County, Will County, and it's different. And that's one of my biggest concerns. I expressed to uh, the state's attorney, Fox, and her staff, if they want to not prosecute these cases, they should go to Springfield and get the law changed. Because what my officers are doing and the officers in the West suburbs is they're following the criminal statutes in Illinois. So the, the law says one thing, they, the Cook County's doing something different. So there's 102 counties in Illinois. So we're the only one that's going to be doing this that I know of. That's not right. That, that I call that like a cafeteria plan. So they get to pick and choose what they're going to prosecute what we're going to bring forward, not based on the Illinois statutes, based on funding, based on resources, and based on where they're going to put those resources. And what uh, 
Kim Fox said while she was on this program was that because, especially because of the budget crunch, she says she's got a choice. On the one hand, you have retail theft, uh, which is a property crime. Not obviously, if they used a weapon, it would be a different crime. Uh, on the one hand, that there's that, and on the other hand. There is violent crime going on on the streets of Chicago where teenagers are killing each other. And she said, if I have a choice of where I'm going to put my resources, I'm putting it where people are being killed every time. Uh, What's wrong with that? Well, I I agree. Certainly my objection has no, this is nothing about Kim Fox herself. It's about mm-hmm. her policies. And, and she was yeah. took pains to say she doesn't yeah. have anything against you. I have respect you for and, her as an individual. Yeah. I've worked with her. This is strictly a policy issue. Mm-hmm. But the Ch- city of Chicago certainly does have its challenges. The Chicago Police Department has its challenges. But you know what's happening is that Chicago police are doing a fantastic job of policing. I mean, people overlook that. And you know how we know in the suburbs? Because Chicago's pushing crime out. And you know where that crime's going? West. And where is it landing? It's landing in the suburbs that border Chicago. And Riverside is two miles from Austin Boulevard. Okay, so it's landing in the suburbs, and we're seeing crimes we've never seen before. So are the suburbs around me. And when you look at these individuals' addresses, when we arrest them, where they list their homes at, they're, li- they're living in Chicago. And they're, Chicago's putting a full court press on, right? So they're coming out to the suburbs, opening up uh, open-air drug markets, trying to get uh, established uh gang activity. And, you know, I would differ on the fact that, uh, that resources shouldn't come to the suburbs. I agree with her. It's a funding issue, but then put the fun, you know, why, why is it that the suburbs are being shortchanged? Why is it that they consider retail theft, a property crime, burglary is a property crime. I, I can tell you that if you ever dealt with a burglary victim where they came into your home, and they invaded your home, and they burglarized your home, they don't look at it as a property crime. They look at it as a violent crime. Um, somebody came into your property where you sleep. They stole. In some cases, if you're home, it raises it to a home invasion. Those are serious criminal acts. I'm just asking the state's attorney's office, one, to continue to prosecute cases for driving a license suspended, for retail thefts, and what the current Illinois statute is, because they have the prosecutors here already what she's going to do is put prosecutors, I think, into the city court system because they have a heavy load. And I don't, I have no doubt they have a heavy load. But there is where the rub comes, right? So the county board needs to fund the state's attorney's budget requests. The only way that the state's attorney's office is telling suburban police chiefs that we can keep um, what we have and also get criminal justice reform with with criminal justice funding is the county board, even if they have to do belt tightening, they have to have a minimum amount of prosecutors and staff to run the criminal justice system. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking about criminal justice and policing, and my guest is Chief Tom Weitzel, who heads the police department in West Suburban Riverside. I want to get back to the funding in a minute, but I want to stop ab- about the retail theft and, and talk a little bit about that, because for people who don't understand what we were referring to, um, retail theft used to be considered a felony over $300, correct? Correct. Now that 
threshold of what is a felony retail theft is $1,000. Correct. Um, that's anything below is a misdemeanor. Now, one of the things that the state's attorney said is that those things can be adjudicated at the local level. In other words, the suburb, just like you would do a ticket uh, for some driving offense or parking, it could be done that way. What do you see as the flaw in that uh, that idea? Besides the fact that it's going to cost the suburbs more money, which it is, it is going to cost the suburbs more money. And there are municipalities that do put retail thefts as a local ordinance ticket already, but it's a little bit more complicated than that because part of her order to her staff is not only a thousand dollar threshold; it's you have to have ten prior convictions. You know, so there's a thousand dollar threshold. And that individual has to have 10 prior convictions. Well, I've been in law enforcement 32 years. It's pretty hard to find criminals that have 10 felony convictions. They may have 30 arrests, but four convictions. So it, it, to have 10 convictions on your rap sheet, which is your criminal history, is pretty unusual. Now, you, the towns that are doing the retail thefts on the citations, here's one of the issues with that, is they have to go to your local adjudication court. Many municipalities don't have that. There are different rules for, for home rule communities and non-home rule communities. Plus, there's no penalty for disobeying the adjudication. So you cannot put a warrant out for somebody's arrest for not showing up. You cannot put a warrant out for their arrest for not uh, complying with the adjudicator's uh, requirements. What will happen is those tickets go to a judgment and they sit there. And you will collect nothing, which there's no fine. So maybe the police shouldn't be in the fine collection business, but there has to be some penalty associated with the criminal act. So individuals that just disregard the local ordinance citation, there is no real follow-up or real penalty that they pay for the acts that they commit. Um, how do your retailers feel about all of this? Because I would think that they are feeling a little bit more vulnerable. You know, I, had, I attended a meeting um, at the South Suburban Chiefs of Police Association, and we reached out to the Retail Merchantile Association and the West Central Municipal Conference on the retail theft, theft issue. They supported us. Uh, in fact, the West Central Municipal Conference wrote a letter to the, Tim Fox supporting our position. We had the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police. That's the single organization in the state with, with hundreds of police agencies and thousands of members who also issued a press release and a statement coming out against the felony retail theft policy and several other recent policies, the state's attorney. So it's not just me sitting here today telling you about this. I mean, the, the police organizations, the police chiefs organizations are opposed to this. Hmm. Uh, some police in Chicago uh, have taken to feeling that the, the world, or at least some politicians, are kind of turned against them. Uh, is that the kind of feeling you're feeling in the suburbs? I mean, there's more scrutiny in, in what you do and your departments do, but is it, are you feeling under siege or neglected? <laughs> you know, I think it'd be more of a neglect um, statement because, you know, what's happening is that our officers are the ones doing the work. We're on the front line. Many of these policies and procedures being put in either by the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, um, even sometimes the sheriff's office and certainly at the state level, they don't consult with us first. Now they've made some, some adjustments to that. The state's attorney's office recently has reached out and is going to form a committee where they're going to review stuff with local police chiefs or their appointees. 
uh, so that that is starting to change. But they never came to us at first and said, you know, how is this going to affect your municipality? How is it going to affect your officers? Many of the suburban departments are, are you know, running on bare minimum manpower. So they didn't, and, and our officers are doing the work, and they said, can this work? You know, will this work when we put this policy in? How is it going to affect the street officer? None of that ever takes place. So they don't seek our opinions as law enforcement professionals, I mean, they have chiefs that have been in their position for years. They've come up through the ranks. They're well-versed in the criminal justice system here in Cook County, but somehow we never get asked up front to be a part of the process. Um, I do want to get back to, to funding because, uh, in, in fact, you are on Kim Fox's side when it comes to asking for more money for prosecutors. Um, are you finding that the commissioners are being receptive about that? No, I, I didn't have one single response to my letter, at least from the commissioner's level. And I, I am, I am one that is tired of hearing. I can't tell you how many meetings I go to from these elected officials, state, county, who use that phrase, criminal justice reform. I mean, I go to a meeting and it's used 10 times. But nobody mentions funding. The only thing at the end of the meeting they say is uh, we, we don't have the funding to do it. And when I get up and say you can't have criminal justice reform without criminal justice funding, they look at me and there's no response. So I don't know, you know, how, how, how can you have reform without funding? And I'm saying that Kim Fox's office, she does need her prosecutors. I agree with her with that. She does need the funding from the county board to run the criminal justice system. And if they want to start to do some reform, they have to fund the reform. But, but reform has been sold to officials and the public as something that can save money. That if you reduce the number of people, if, if fewer people are put in jail while awaiting trial because some of these incarcerations can be in two years while they're waiting for their cases to come up, uh, that then you are saving money and that money can fuel the other reform efforts, the, the you know, different kinds of prosecutions, alternatives to prosecutions. Well, that's a long-term plan. I think they haven't seen any savings up front. Now, if they're looking at saying that, you know, we're going to put this capital improvement where, where we're going to have to expend money up front is what they should be to get to the second part. But you can't just, you just can't say criminal justice for fund, uh, funding or criminal justice reform is just dropping the, everything off the plate. We don't do this. We don't do this anymore. We don't do this. We don't prosecute this. We don't have the staff to do this. That's not reform. That, that is that squarely lack of funding. And in fact, when I was doing research on this topic, before I wrote my letter to the county board, I looked at other criminal justice reform efforts made throughout the United States by doing some searching and then getting those documents. And they all funded initially the reform. So they put uh, more prosecutors on. They put, even if they did an alternative jail system, they, they put money into a new facility to better serve juvenile offenders or adults offenders, they were all had some funding attached to it. It seems in Cook County here, there's no funding attached to criminal justice reform. Well, funding issues aside, uh, what do suburban police departments and their officers need more of from the county besides money? 
we need more of a say. We need office. We need for the state's attorney's office to work with suburban police departments. You know, I'll tell you where the most contact comes in suburban police departments in a process called felony review. The average resident or citizen would probably would not even know what that is, but it's, it's not a police officer cannot just charge an individual with a crime in Cook County unless it's a misdemeanor. We have to go through a felony review process. State's attorney has to approve it. That's where suburban local police officers come into contact with the state's attorney's office. I'm not a proponent of a felony review process. I think uh, it's not a state statute. It's an administrative process. And I think it's a way to weed out cases that aren't a dead bang, but all cases aren't like that. You have to, there are some cases that require continued follow-up or you just have to go with the evidence that you have. But 95% of suburban police officers come into contact with the state's attorney's office through felony review. And they need to work with us in this felony review process because what's going to happen when the state's attorney's office starts to lay off prosecutors is they're going to have less felony review assistant state's attorneys and police officers are going to wait longer. They're going to wait hours, hours to get calls back from the state's attorney's office. And remember, those prisoners are being held in custody the whole time. And we only have 48 hours to hold the offenders in custody to get them to bond court. So this, this affects the system all the way down the line. How do you strike the balance between, uh, in this felony review process, uh, between uh, going after cases that might not be slam dunks, where you're certain you're going to get a conviction, and going over the other way, where the, you could be subject to accusations of wrongful prosecution? I think it's it's incumbent on the officers to first, you got to do their investigation. You got to collect your evidence. Then you call felony review. You review that case with the state's attorney's office. And it, I'm well aware that they make the call on whether there's going to be prosecution or not. But I've been a long opponent to the way they run that, because if you tried to ask the state's attorney's office for their felony review rejection rate, they would tell you they don't keep records like that. If you told them what their rate is on the cases they accept, they might have it. And I've long, long before state's attorney Fox is in the office, believed that felony review is used for felony conviction when they run for office. So it's easy for a prosecutor to say, I have a 95% felony conviction rate. When there were 6,000 felony review requests called into the office, but they only approved 2,000, well, then you could say you have a very high rate, right? But they don't say how many they rejected. That's one of my problems with that. I don't want the felony review process to be a political process. You, the officers either have the evidence or they don't approve it or reject it. How much of this reform do you believe is political versus practical or about public safety and about saving money? I think there's some that that's political. I, I, I would say that, you know, it's a political office. It's, it has some political parts to it. Um, I, I would, I don't, I think Kim Fox isn't out there to run a political office as far as the criminal justice system goes. I believe, you know, she's sticking to her policies that she ran on for state's attorney. Certainly. Um, you know, she had an agenda that, that she put out there. I think she's following through with the agenda. So I, th I think there is some political aspect to it, but we're talking about people's lives here. I mean, we're talking about uh, criminal histories. We're talking about, you know, when people get arrested, that stays on their rap sheet for, in some cases, for their entire life. 
So let's make sure we get it right. And let's make sure that if they deserve to be prosecuted, we prosecute it. Let's not drop the cases just because it's politically, you know, expedient. And we really, we have less than a minute, but uh, just to re uh, reaffirm that you are satisfied with the kind of reforms being done for juvenile justice, correct? I am. And I, I serve on a committee uh, called Fight Crime Invest in Kids Illinois, which is a great organization that I'm involved in. And I'm 100% online with the criminal justice reform being proposed for juvenile offenders. I believe in it totally, and I'm, I'm currently supporting it and actively supporting it. That's going to be the final word. That is Riverside Police Chief Tom Weitzel. And thank you very much for spending this half hour with us. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is cbschicago.com. Just follow the audio links. You can also find our podcasts on play.it. I will be back next week with another edition of Ad Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.